Welcome to the C3 Coffs Harbour podcast. Today's message is a recording from our online service. To join our online church community, visit c3ch.online.church and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the message. Arguably one of the most um, famous artworks ever created is Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. Um, and obviously maybe Mona Lisa's the, the most famous, but, uh, but The Last Supper would have to be up there as one of the most famous artworks ever produced. And, and this Good Friday message um, is going to revolve around the series of events that took place um, during and after the, that particular artwork um, portrays. And so what's interesting is um, at this table where Jesus is with his disciples, um, they're celebrating the Passover feast. And as you might know from history, uh, this was a Jewish culture uh, that every year they would celebrate, much like we would celebrate Christmas every year. They would celebrate God's goodness and God's blessing of setting their forefathers free from slavery in Egypt after 430 years and, uh, and setting them free into the promised land. And so they would have these festivals, these celebrations to uh, just celebrate how good God was. And so this particular meal is set in, in that context, at that celebration, at that festival, and they've had a massive feast and enjoying one another's company. And then, and then Jesus at the table makes things a little bit awkward. And the conversation shifts to him and he says, all right, boys, um, just so you know, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And the conversation goes on. They start guessing, and, and who's it going to be? And then ultimately, he spills the beans and says, it's going to be Judas. And that's awkward. Like, the tension was probably so thick, you could cut it with a knife. And so that, I'm sure, sent tongues wagging, and um, the disciples going, oh, okay, what's going on, on here? This is, this is crazy. They then get up from the table, the same table that they were sitting at in Da Vinci's picture. They get up from that. They go for a walk, an evening stroll. As they're out walking together as a crew, um, obviously there was more than two, so social distancing wasn't there back then. Um, but the, the, the 13 of them were going for a walk. And, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, Hey, Peter, you, you're going to deny me three times before the sun comes up tomorrow. And Peter, being Peter, the loudmouth, says, no, Jesus, you're wrong. There's no way I would ever do that. I'm your homeboy. I'm with you. I would never, never do that to you. And Jesus is like, well, we'll see. And so they continue to walk and stroll. The, the night gets later and later. And Jesus decides, hey, it'd be cool to climb a mountain and we'll have a bit of a prayer meeting. Um, and so they, they climb a mountain. They get to the top. And, and Jesus says, hey, guys, um, my soul is, is hurting. Um, I'm in a deep state of sorrow, even to the point of my own death. Would you guys just stay awake and pray with me just for a little while? And of course, the disciples are like, yeah, of course, we'll pray with you, Jesus. We're there for you. We'll do whatever. And so Jesus starts to pray and begins to pray. And he's praying about all this anxiety that he's feeling, this anguish in his heart, this sorrow in his soul. And, and he's got his closest men around him. And he turns around and they're all fast asleep. And so he nudges them and says, fellas, wake up. Can't you even for one hour sit and pray with me? And they're like, oh, sorry, Jesus, sorry. And so they begin to pray again. And Jesus turns around two more times only to find his closest people fallen asleep. They hadn't stayed awake to uh, be alert in prayer as he'd requested them to be. And so after this, uh, they're moving on and an orange glow starts to appear in the bushes around them. 
and there's a flicker of light that gets brighter and brighter and all of a sudden that, that orange hue is surrounding them on all four sides. It's getting lighter and lighter and then from the distance a, a shadowy figure starts to emerge from this orange glow. As it gets closer, Jesus squints. He can't quite make out who it is. And step by step, the person's figure becomes clearer and clearer until he's standing right in front of him. And it's Judas. And Judas leans forward in full view of everybody and plants a kiss right on the cheek of Jesus, the kiss of betrayal. That kiss would indicate to the Roman soldiers that had surrounded them with torches and weapons and armory that this was the guy They'd come to arrest. This was the guy they'd come to capture and ultimately lead to his own uh, crucifixion. And so um, they arrest Jesus. They take him before the high priests. And Peter is frantically running and chasing to see what is happening to Jesus. Where are they taking him? What's going on? And so they throw him in the courts and the high priests come in and they start to uh, judge him to see what's going on. There's an intense interrogation scene happening inside there where they're mocking him and just giving him uh, an absolutely hard time berating him. And, And all the while, Peter sitting outside the gates watching, wondering, is he okay? What's happening? And three separate times, people come out of the woodwork and say, hey, Weren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? Your accent's familiar. Aren't you with him? And Peter's like, no, 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 not with him. No, you're thinking of somebody else. Maybe that's my cousin Roy. Uh, I think you've got your wires crossed. And not once, twice, but three times, Peter denies being associated with Jesus. Just like Jesus had said just moment, hours before that he would do. And then Peter begins to weep bitterly. And it doesn't really say why he wept bitterly. It doesn't say why he got upset. But I kind of, I got a hunch on two fronts. Um, my first hunch is an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame that Jesus hours earlier said, predicted that he would do this. And he promised that he would never do it because he was such a close friend. He was such a close rabbi. He would, he, he would die for Jesus. But here he is denying Jesus. And so I kind of feel maybe it was that overwhelming sense of of. of just shame and guilt for letting Jesus down. And then the second thought I have is maybe he was so upset because he finally joined the dots together, that he finally realized that what Jesus had been preparing his disciples for was about to go down, that Jesus was about to be crucified and put on a cross and die for the sins of the world which Peter denied would happen just a few chapters earlier in this account. We see Peter going, no, no, Jesus, that would never happen to you. And Jesus has to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan, for you know not the things of God. And so maybe Peter in that moment is like, oh, my gosh, this is all the stuff he's been getting us ready for. I know what's going to happen next. And so maybe that, that's just my couple of thoughts on what happened with, um, with Peter, why he wept. So Jesus is getting interrogated by the high priest. The high priest condemned him to death. They sent him to be sentenced to the governor, Pilate. And so he gets marched before Pilate. Pilate looks at Jesus and he's like, this is a good guy. I don't find anything wrong with Jesus. He's, he's okay. In the words of DC, DC talk, Jesus is just all right by me. He's okay. He's, he's good. And, and so then the people say, no, 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 no. No, he's not good. We want him dead. And Pilate's like, I find no guilt in this man. And the crowd just gets whipped up into a frenzy. And they just start to cheer and chant, chant in one accord, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so Pilate starts to think, 
how am I going to calm this crowd down? I don't want a riot on my hands. I don't want anarchy to ensue in this city. I've got to control the people and calm the situation. So he has a thought. He knows that it's part of Passover, right? The very meal they were celebrating hours earlier, this is still going, the festival is still going on in the city. And part of that festival, part of that tradition, is that each year one prisoner would be released from jail as a token of appreciation and celebration to God from setting their people free all those years ago from slavery. And so what he thought he would do is, hey, what if I got the, the most wicked, crooked crook ever and put him up against Jesus and said, hey, all right, we've got to release one prisoner as part of Passover. Who's it going to be? Maybe they'll then realize how irrational they've been and they'll choose the, the convicted criminal over this nice guy, Jesus. And so what he does is he, he brings these two guys out. He brings out Barabbas, who was a convicted murderer. He was a thug. He was a, a heavy hitter. Um, and he was on death row. And brings out Jesus and says, all right, guys. So here we've got the good guy, the miracle man, just the all-around top bloke. Or we've got Barabbas, the down-and-out thug who just killed a bunch of people and he's in here for life. Who do you want to set free? And unanimously... The crowd starts chanting, Barabbas, set Barabbas free. We want Barabbas set free. And so that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Pilate. And he's like, okay, well, I wash my hands. <laughs> there you go. Uh, of this man's innocence and this man's crucifixion and do with him what you will. And so then Jesus, by popular demand, was sent to be crucified. And crucifixion was was no light thing. Crucifixion was barbaric. Historically, it was such an awful, um, disgusting trait um, and an event. And I'm going to share some thoughts about the brutality around crucifixion and some historical facts around that. But I want to just put a disclaimer out there. If there's kids in the room, maybe just turn the volume down or maybe just send them to the other room to make you a cup of tea or something like that. But um, I think it's important that we historically understand uh, the surrounding events and the history of crucifixion because it's vitally important to the story of Jesus and the beauty of the gospel message. And I don't say these things for sensationalism. I don't say it for some sort of gruesome entertainment. And I don't say it just for shock value, but for the importance of understanding the beauty of the gospel when it's paralleled against the brutality of the cross. You see, the cross was a, a platform where a man would ultimately be hung and nailed to that and left there to die. Uh, the very first uh, accounts we have historically of, of, uh, of crucifixion is where a stake would be driven into the midsection of a man and then that stake would be driven into the ground and he'd be suspended there until he passed. And the, the Romans were brutal. The Romans were just um, relentless and they made it their mission to make crucifixion as painful and as uh, drawn out as possible so that that person could uh, suffer the maximum amount of pain that was humanly possible before they would pass on. And so they would uh, devise all sorts of ways of, of, of doing it, um, including um, you know, nailing like Jesus was through the hands, through the feet. Uh, and what was hard for people was too is they would usually suffocate because they had to keep their body uh, upright to get oxygen and Oftentimes, people would then slump over so that the weight of their body would just press on their lungs and expel all the air out of their lungs so that they would pass quickly. And the Romans were like, no, 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 that's not good enough. We're going to put a seat to prop up their bottom and they can sit on that, which keeps them upright, which prolongs their uh, suffering and ultimately their death. In fact, so bad was the treatment of 
criminals by the Roman Empire that they, they devised their own word as a result of the crucifix practices. And that word is the word excruciating that we use today, which literally means in its original form, from the cross. And so when we stub our, our toe or when we get those little ouchies next to our fingernails and we go, oh, the pain is excruciating. Well, actually, it, it isn't really excruciating. Excruciating was a term specifically devised to reflect the torturous, barbaric methods that the Romans would inflict upon uh, criminals um, in, in that part of history. And so uh, what, what we find, too, is that you know, in, in today's day and age, if people get the death penalty, um, it's usually a, a dignified death uh, where they'd be taken to a private room and they would be uh, put to sleep humanely and it was, it's very nice and they have a, a, a ceremony for them and it's, it's all very kosher. But um, back then, not at all. It was a very public affair. Um, they would be strung up naked. They'd become incontinent because of the pain. Uh, crowds of people would gather to watch. It was incredibly um, horrific and... Um, oh, just shameful event. And they wouldn't even oftentimes give these people proper burials. Uh, they would leave them there for the, the wildlife to consume the remains after they had passed. It was absolutely awful. But what was cool is um, there's recordings found uh, within 100 years of Jesus' death of people wearing crosses as jewellery and as mementos um, to, to reflect the, the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's so beautiful what they've done is because they, they started to wear these crosses that once resembled symbols of fear, symbols of death, symbols of torture, and now we're wearing these as symbols of hope and symbols of salvation. And what's funny is, is as generations go on, and, and now in 2020 people still wear crosses um, around their neck, but it holds zero significance other than just a cool fashion icon to wear. Um, but I just find that fascinating. And so um, when, when we look about this, this story of what happened to Jesus at the Last Supper and then the flow and effects, um, what can happen is you and I can read these stories and hear these stories and, and we get a bit of self-righteousness um, rise inside of us where we go, hey, you know what, if, if I was there, if I was one of these characters in this story, I reckon things would have played out a little bit differently. If I was one of the disciples or if I was uh, Peter or if I was Judas, I don't think I would have done what they did and therefore I might have shifted the way history outplayed. But the funny thing is that even though we have this beautiful gift of the prophetic word of hindsight um, to look over 2,000 years of history and think that we would do things differently, even with this gift of hindsight, we still make in principle the same mistakes. We still approach Jesus the same way that these characters did in this story. Here's what I mean. For example, the disciples back then were asked to pray, to be alert, to be on guard, to be with Jesus in prayer, and they fell asleep. And we go, I would never fall asleep. I'd be there praying for as long as he needed. I'd be right in there. I'm a prayer warrior. I'm an intercessor. I do that sort of stuff. Yet how many of us even today are asleep on the inside spiritually? When Jesus, through his word, has told us to be alert, to be on guard, but we've allowed the, the pleasures of this world to lull us asleep and, and desensitize our spirits to the things of God. And so we think that we would do things differently back then, but we're actually doing the same things today where we're not standing up on the inside. We're actually fall asleep when we're being called to stay awake. 
Or maybe like Judas, um, who betrayed Jesus, we would go, I would never betray Jesus. I would never sell him out. But we kind of do, right? We kind of sell Jesus out for our own gain. Like Jesus, uh, Judas sold Jesus out for his own financial gains, sil- 30 silver coins. And we, we sell Jesus out by choosing other things for our own gain or our own pleasure or our own profit, even though Jesus probably wouldn't want us to have those things or do those things or, or go to those places. We sort of make a compromise or make a bit of a deal or, or choose other things other than Jesus. And by doing so, we actually betray him and his plan and his purpose for our life. Or maybe, maybe we, we see Peter and we go, there is no way. I could be like Peter and deny Jesus. Not knowing what I know and experience what I've experienced, I could not deny Jesus. But don't we do that like today? Um, we, we read in, in 1 Peter that uh, we need to be prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope that we have. And yet sometimes when we get confronted in the workplace or by family members or, or people that have a go at us about our faith, and in, in the name of keeping the peace, we remain silent. And the Bible talks about us speaking out and having a voice and not being ashamed of the gospel and, and, and declaring it. And, and, and I can't help but wonder if our silence about our faith and our silence about our God is a deafening denial of who Jesus is. Matthew 6 says that if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. And so I can't help but think that maybe even today we are like Peter. We, we deny Jesus with our silence towards engaging other people about letting them know about the good hope that we have in him. Or maybe like Pilate. We think, if I was governor and I had all authority, all power, I would just shut that thing down. I would not have condemned Jesus to death. I would have had power over the people and I would have done things differently. Well, maybe, maybe we're a little bit like Pilate too in, in 2020 in that we have power and authority over our own life, but when it comes to Jesus, we're okay with Jesus. We don't find any fault with him. We're cool with Jesus, but we don't choose him. We choose the voice of the crowd around us. We go with what media tells us. We get swept up in the, the, the voice of popular opinion. And so we do what everybody around us is saying we should do and could do rather than listening to that still small voice of Jesus telling us what we ought to do and how to follow him well. See, the cross of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished, is absolutely enormous. And that he went there for us um, and that he loved us so much. God loved us so much that he sent his son, who the son would willingly lay down his life for us to to make uh, us have right standing, right relationship with God again. So the gospel message, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, his crucifixion, his death, burial, resurrection is absolutely enormous. But it's also eternal. And the same sin that was in Peter and Judas and Pilate and the disciples and and the same sin going all the way back to Adam and Eve is that same toxic um, uh, flaw of humanity that exists in us today. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we have redemption we have wholeness we have a brand new life and my hope and my prayer is that we would never weaken the cross we would never make it kitsch or cute or or minimize it but we would see it for the bigness that it absolutely is and i've said this before and we we can we can do these cute little things where we we say oh you know 
Jesus wanted to show us how much he loves us, and so he stretched out his arms and said, this is how much he loves us when he died on the cross for us. And look, that's, that's probably true, and it's, it's kind of cute, and it might work in, say, a kid's church setting, but my fear with that sort of analogy or example is that it weakens the robust power that the gospel has, that the cross has, that the, the sacrifice Jesus did for us has. A, a better way to view it is that Jesus stretched out his hand to the very first sin ever committed in Genesis 3 and stretched out his hand as far forward as the very last human that would breathe on this planet. And every sin that would be committed from there through to there was nailed on the cross with him. And he paid the price, the penalty, for all sin that humanity could ever do so that all of us in this life, if we put our faith and trust in him, can have our relationship with God the Father reconciled, restored, and put back together again. And so right now, in this moment, I'd love for us to take communion together. And uh, so if you want to get the emblems, the bread and the juice, and we're just going to spend just a little moment just reflecting and remembering on the bigness of the cross, what Jesus went through, and that you and I and our sin actually led to putting him on that cross. So let's take the bread, which represents his body, the juice, his blood that was shed, and let's just take a moment wherever we are and just thank him and be in remembrance of him. God, we thank you so much that you loved the world so much that you gave your only son so that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Lord, we thank you that you did not send your son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And Lord, as we finish this service today, if there's any of our brothers and sisters watching today that doesn't know you, hasn't crossed that line of faith to put their trust in you. As we celebrate this weekend of Easter, which is all about you, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded where we are right now, that your love for us is so vast that you would go through so much suffering, pain, torture and torment, that you would encounter excruciating pain as a demonstration of the lengths that you are prepared to go to to reconcile people back to relationship with God the Father. And for those of us today that might not know you and want to cross that line of faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray that right now we would do that. We would get our life right with you and trust in you. If that's you today, why don't we pray this prayer together? Dear Lord, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. I repent of my sin and my rebelliousness and that corruption of character that exists inside of me. And I pray that you would make me born again, a brand new creation and that I would come to a new life of following you, living for you, and, and enjoying the freedom that comes with being a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you bless every one of these people in your wonderful name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or you wanted to recommit your life to Jesus, just, just click the I commit my life to Jesus button on your screen right now. Reach out, reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to pray with you, connect with you, get a Bible in your hands to help you in this journey of faith. But hey, God bless you. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. We love you guys so much and we can't wait to be with you again in person. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our online services, visit c3ch.online.church and come say hi on Facebook and Instagram.